Welcome to Season 2, Episode 37 of Beyond the Zero. I'm your host, Ben. Joining me today is Matthew Spencer. Matthew is a writer and translator. He joins us from his home in Seattle. Welcome to the show, Matthew. Uh, great to be on. I uh, love How, the show. How's life in Seattle? It's uh, uh, pretty relaxed at the moment. We're recording this on uh, the 4th of July. Uh, and uh, uh, usually, um, you know, things are pretty hectic in my neighborhood. That's where uh, the fireworks happen. There's a, a, a lake in the middle of the city, Lake Union, where they fire the uh, the fireworks off of and uh usually it's already you know filled by this time but uh there's uh uh because of political reasons and just a uh general uh you know chaos in the united states and the world in general i don't think people are very inclined to celebrate it this year so i think that roe versus wade thing has made waves all over the world How's life in America under under this new weird kind of Senate? Well, it's it's a uh, you know, and this is a I th- it's kind of hard to gauge because uh, you know, like a lot of people, like a lot of just people in general in America, I live in a fairly liberal fairly left-wing bubble um in seattle and with a with a fairly like uh you know they're you get in the weeds about american politics but you know the state government at the on washington state is uh controlled by the democrats and and really that's what's like at stake here for for roe v wade and, and a bunch of other uh, court decisions that are going through the pipeline and is, is uh, whatever you are, what, however you stand, a lot of that is dependent on your state government. And, you know, the more than just any sort of decision about gun control or abortion, uh, it's really about whether there there is going to be a federal government and what powers that it has. And so, you know, I have friends in very you know middle the midwest and the south and things like that and life look for them right now is very very different um you know in terms of reproductive rights in terms of rights as a gay trans lesbian person and things like that their lives are being very sharply cur- curtailed very very quickly so crazy okay yeah let's talk about books instead um let's start <laughs> yeah. let's start with translation how did you begin work as a translator? Well, I was a uh, I learned German starting in high school in order to you know, get at the literature. That those were some of my uh, you know favorite books growing up and to develop developing my own taste as a reader were Franz Kafka, Kleist, Thomas Mann, uh, uh, and 
So I got interested in learning the language from from there. And then um, I, I took uh, I took courses in, at the university. I ended up majoring in German and getting an undergraduate degree there. I thought I wanted to be a teacher, uh, but that ended up didn't didn't work out. Um, but the uh, I guess I, I still I still loved reading it, and I various times I, I had made my own amateur translations, uh, translated a bit of Robert Musel, um, some of his short pieces uh, from the collection uh, posthumous uh, 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 posthumous writings of a, of a living author, um, and then. Uh, some troubadour uh, poetry or, or minnesanger, as they call them in uh, the German tradition. And then, uh, you know, starting out uh, about two years ago now, um, I was I had a lot of downtime because the job that I was working at, the, the, the uh, kitchen store uh, where I was working at burned down. Uh, and then I had some chronic health problems, not related to COVID, but that was that was when COVID at the height of COVID. And I just uh, yeah, just started translating Kleist because uh, he's, he's one of my favorite authors. And uh, there was a, a, a fair bit of stuff of his. And this is true for for a lot of classic, uh, even what we would call like overexposed or overtranslated authors, they have, they often have, uh, you know, works that kind of uh, don't necessarily have the best critical reputation or maybe suffer from a previous imperfect translation. And some of these were like that, uh, these sort of short uh, feuilleton, short essays, journalistic pieces that Kleist published towards the end of his life and uh there was there's only been one collection of that in english and that was that was incomplete and tacked on to a volume of correspondence and so uh a friend of mine publisher uh josh roths uh 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 through sublunary we we both kind of share that love of these these sort of short ephemera or these, you know, minor works by major, so-called minor works by major authors. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was, uh, he was at that time, uh, well, it, he was uh, sort of ramping up his uh, publishing outfit. And uh, that was, uh, you know, I, th I think, you know, there was a personal connection there, but I also think it really, the book kind of really aligned with what he was, what he's trying to do with, with that uh, uh, press in terms of championing short works, tramp championing translation, translate, uh, championing like stuff that's high, you know, doesn't necessarily fit in all of those big, you know, genre boxes, you know, mm -hmm. between fiction, nonfiction, essay, poetry, you know, all of those things. So. Okay. Well, let's talk a bit more about Kleist. So 
obviously we're talking about anecdotes, the book he translated recently. It's a collection of his fiction, other short pieces, like ephemera, like you were saying. And they're originally published in a German newspaper in the early 1800s. Do you want to tell us a bit more about Kleist um, and who his contemporaries were? Yeah, so he uh, came up uh, sort of, you know, in what we would call like a golden age of German literature. This was the, uh, you know, his young boyhood was sort of marked by the the rise of Goethe as a uh, world uh, sort of historical uh, figure. Uh, he was an immensely pop. Goethe was an immensely popular writer in his own lifetime, uh, in Kleist's lifetime, in Goethe's own lifetime as well. Um, and then you had people like Schiller, um, and then also kind of what Kleist, because he was very young when when many of these developments were happening. Uh, he. Uh, you know, started his own uh, sort of experience in, in in drama and prose writing, and uh, was and while he was regarded by his peers, uh, by Goethe, uh, by um, some of the, some of the other like figures, as as a very talented young man, uh, he wasn't successful at all, um, really, and. Uh, his plays were failures. Most of them, if they were staged at all, were only limited engagements and were were met by uh, just uh, howls of indignation from the press and from the audience. Uh, Goethe actually staged one of his plays, The Broken Jug, and it ended on, on opening night. Uh, uh, people were were uh, not happy with him. He was uh, Kleist was also a very unstable person, uh, and he uh, was in in earlier life. He trained to be an officer, and uh, he left his sort of short career as a officer in training to be a writer, to be a literary figure. And uh, his career was rather short, uh, less than 10 years. And the, the bulk of his work was really only published in around three or four years. And uh, he was born in Prussia um, uh, on uh, Frankfurt on der Oder and, and basically never like left home and lived around various cities in Europe and then came back to Berlin in uh, 1809, 1810, and then uh, yeah, published this newspaper, the first daily newspaper in the city that he wrote pretty much himself. Um, he you know, would clip and rewrite uh, you know, other newspaper stories that he found that he would get in some of the early lending libraries and reading rooms of the city. But for the initial run, which is only a few months, he would uh, write a you know, daily newspaper, like several hundred words, thousands of, sometimes thousands of words would, pub would publish that each day. Um, and this would be sold on the, uh, on the street. And, you know, in between, 
you your standard journalistic fare would be also uh, sometimes impromptu, sometimes work of his that he'd been been working on years, these short stories, anecdotes, philosophical essays, is sort of a remarkable range of different subjects and, uh, you know, material uh, styles, genres that would, yeah, th that was all the work of this one person. Uh, and uh, you know, he had collaborators. Uh, the uh, Brothers Grimm were, uh, uh, they were younger than Kleist, but they were, uh, uh, they were also part of his circle, also contributors. Um, and so uh, he really had this one man intellectual operation, uh, but then it was shut down because of uh, censorship. Um, they had problems printing uh, and uh, his subscriber base vanished. And uh, that was pretty much it for him um and then less than a like a year after starting this newspaper he uh, killed himself and uh, a female friend of his uh and uh that's sort of that that is really that this this double suicide um him because he was you know considered himself a failure and was was uh you know mentally unstable and um Henriette Vogel, um, this terminally ill woman, um, that really, that was really what made his name. And he was, I'm, I'm certain that he was certain of that. And that was going to be his, his suicide letters are, are, are very famous and are, are these uh, in sort of his statements around that were, and the kind of uh, I, I should add that uh, Henrietta Vogel was a was a married woman, um, and that uh, she they had a a uh, sort of a, a, a very strange relationship. There, there's uh, no evidence that he they were sexually attracted. There's no evidence that Kleist was sexually active with anybody, but they sort of consummated this. I guess, for lack of a better term, like platonic, artistic love affair with their their own suicide, which was which was very much staged, which was very much sort of like rehearsed to be this this dramatic moment. They died on on a lakeside and 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 had a picnic together. This was in the the winter time. Ran around, joked with the staff, uh, and wrote these very. Uh, these very purple, but although nonetheless like very affecting, uh, affecting letters about how they were going on a great adventure and 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 how they were they were happy that they were going to die. So it's it's a yeah, it's just that that was that was what turned Kleist into this sort of pesky, uh, unpopular sort of. Um, figure into uh yeah like a, a figure of like you know the german class like among you know figures of of classic german literature full stop you know which he wasn't he was nowhere near that uh had nowhere near that reputation as a, as a living person
And how old was he when he died? Early 30s, uh, Mm. 34. That's crazy. In terms of translation, I know this work was probably quite difficult to translate because it is so, um, it's, there's so many different elements to it and there are parts that are, you know, prose and poetry and all sorts of things. What was the secret to translating this particular work given its, I guess, eccentricity? Yeah, so it's, um, you know, the the key, the, what really helps me, and this is, this is sort of my general method, is to really uh, focus on how it sounds, uh, sort of reading, reading the work out loud, uh, watching videos or hearing uh, audiobooks, uh, readings, and then also sort of uh, seeing, seeing the plays, uh, seeing his work staged is, was, was absolutely kind of key for me to kind of cracking that nut because he, he has a very, he's very, very influential and he has a, a very sort of elaborate, dense style that's had a, had effect on basically most people that have wrote literary German in the last 200 years or so, Kafka, Walser, Thomas Bernard, Musil, people like that. Um, and uh, but what a lot of people in the English speaking world kind of miss out on on that style as it relates to Kleist and a, lo- a lot of other writers is that, uh, you know, we consider sort of novels, uh, long form fiction and novels in particular to be of a, a summit of literary art, but still to this day in, in the German speaking countries in Switzerland, Austria, Germany, uh, theater and poetry are still very, very popular. You can go to any kind of small regional hub and find very, very good actors um, uh, doing his plays, doing Kleist plays The Broken Jug, as I mentioned, or Fetrion, or uh, and hearing that German spoken aloud in, in, in ora, it's, it's a very oratorical style. And uh, for journalism as well, you know, as in, you know, in the English speaking world as well, you know, you'd have newspaper criers, you would have people reading out headlines and, uh, uh, you know, have, and, and, and the key to this sort of, uh, it's a very dense style. It's, it's a lot to go through, especially if you're an English speaker and you're not used to these big words and these long sentences but they're 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 meant to be read aloud and they're meant to be spoken and sort of um and actually like a uh sort of the, the the sort of understanding the you know use a lit crit academic term understanding the orality of the literature and understanding and getting my mouth around the sounds you know and the cadence and where you know you can you can hear where uh, you know, if if there's a sentence and it's it's hard to kind of parse it, uh, 
usually those problems would be worked out by yeah going through the dictionary and looking up something that was unclear but also just speaking it and kind of pacing around and you know uh getting out that um getting it out uh, and, 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 and sort of speaking it as if you're, if you're listening in, um, if, as, as if an audience were listening in. Yes. Who are some of your favorite translators working today? I just finished uh, two books that uh, Adrian Nathan West has translated this Swiss writer, uh, Hermann Berger. Uh, and uh, especially this uh, this novel Brenner is uh, it was an autobiographical novel written at the end of uh, of this novelist's life, the contemporary writer who died in the eighties, also of suicide. Uh, and that's a you know uh, that seems to be you know it's a it's a writerly danger all for every everyone i suppose but particularly with germans it's it's a it's very uh very common uh for writers to talk about that anyway uh uh nate uh has done just like a, a immense job of translating this 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 uh novel um that has elements of uh alemanche of of the uh, Swiss speaking dialect that's very very different um, if, if in other contexts it would be considered another language it's it's just as different as perhaps Dutch or something like that you know too but for various you know arcane reasons you know it's it's considered part of part of uh, the German um, and that is the hardest the the problem of translating dialect is the hardest problem in translation because if you if you think of a you know an idealect a, like an individual style writers like kleist writers like musil even writers like um even to a certain extent writers like joyce they have their own individual style and there might be there are individual problems of representing that style in the language that it's not written in but those problems are multiplied when you think about representing an entire speech community um it, it, it's easy to kind of illustrate this because you'll um with 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 uh with uh, uh, Swiss German. So, um, a, a native German speaker, depending on where they are in Germany or Austria or Switzerland will have very difficult, a very difficult time, uh, understanding Swiss German or even another dialect of Swiss German from a couple of valleys over. Um, it'll register as German and they'll be able to piece things together, but it won't sound, it'll, it'll be German almost, and it'll be evocative of a particular place. If it's outside of Bern, if it's in Vienna, if it's in Stuttgart or, or, or wherever a, a particular dialect is spoken. And 
as as an English speaker, I can't render that into. I have to make that so it it looks like it's a dialect, but I can't transpose that into the South because that's a completely different culture, completely different set of uh linguistic and cultural like completely different context same thing with scots same thing with any other dialect that you choose you know uh, english from the black country or yorkshire or australia uh or or uh south africa and what adrian nathan west has done is he basically just constructed he 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 constructed in English and he used to he used some archaisms from English like ye instead of you um, but he he took care to linguistically match those elements with elements that are like found that that that, that sound roughly similar to Alemannic German and uh, yeah I, I'm I'm really really uh uh, 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 yeah, I, I, I think he's he he's done something that's really, uh, not just in, for German translation, but I think it's helpful for for people who are translating any kind of dialect. Really, I, 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 uh, it's, um, I am, I've, I've, I've already you know, told my other translator colleagues about this, you know, with, you know, and, you know, they, they've, they've found that, you know, his techniques have been immensely, uh, you know, illuminating for them as well. So. Wow. Okay. That sounds amazing. Are there some books that you'd love to see in English that you've read in German? Uh, this is kind of a good, a good time to, uh, talk about it. I, you know, I would like to see more Wolfgang Hilbisch, uh, and this actually also a, a translation project that I, I'm, I'm translating a, a collection of poetry, prose poetry and verse poetry of his called Territories of, of the Soul. Um, but there's another collection of his uh, called uh, Under the Neo Moon that would be. That's that's really great. I would like to see more Adelbert Stifter, um, the uh, Austrian writer. Isabel Cole Fargo did a wonderful translation of a collection of his uh, his called uh, Motley Stones. Um, there are these collection of long short stories or novellas about like the countryside in Austria, and uh, he's. A very strange writer in that uh, he was also an immensely troubled person who who died by suicide. But his his writing is 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 um he himself as it pains to say that there there is no drama, there are no events as such in these books. They're they're about the contemplation of the small things. Um, uh, and uh, this is something he shares with another German writer, Robert Walser, where it's a, it's a, he writes about the changing of the seasons or a particular old piece of furniture that, uh, that the narrator's grandfather might have. Um, but under the surface are these uh, really sort of almost very dark 
psychologically disturbing. Almost all of these of his stories involve um, children who have been sort of left to their own devices. And if there is any drama, it's them sort of fighting against the elements and sort of like the general indifference of nature. But they're kind of wrapped in this this very sort of tranquil, uh, uh, joyous um, sort of therapeutic style. It's very close to um, uh, sort of a, a Japanese, common Japanese term called a yashike, which means like healing style or relaxed style. And you can um, sort of the, the, the uh, sort of scenic parts of Miyazaki movies, for example, are very yashike. Um, and uh, I would like to see a, a generally available translation of this gigantic experimental novel called Indian Summer, um, which is this, this Bildungsroman. And yeah, it, it really, I, I haven't read all the way through it, um, but it's just basically about the education of this young man and this sort of like quasi utopian uh like institute or school and there there yeah there's almost no dramatic dramatic content in this and uh even people who are otherwise say it's sympathetic or who are sympathetic to stifter would will call this boring but it's 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 actually quite it's very pleasant to read, you know, it's very, it's very, it's a, it's a, uh, uh, he, he has his own complexities and difficulties. Um, but, um, you know, instead of Kleist, which, who has this very dramatic, very nervous style or, or Kafka, Kafka, the same as well. Um, this is all in the, the kind of service of, of, of really, zeroing in on the most mundane aspects of life you know grain of wood or 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 the the hillside as 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 you know summer turns into fall that that kind of thing and um i would there is a there is a translation that's I, by an academic publisher is very hard to get um it's expensive um and i would like to see a yeah a a, a generally available translation of that and, and more of his work as well. Um. Okay. Given that I have an open checkbook for you um, and I'm going to write out a large check for, you know, a translation, what's your dream project? Uh, that would be, uh, there's a, there's an Austrian writer uh, Marianne uh, Fritz, uh, and there's this gigantic uh, uh, novel art project called Naturgemäß um, that she uh, worked on for decades, and it, it, it's 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 like um you know it's kind of similar in some respects to bottom's dream um in the the arno schmidt novel in that it it it, it it's it's very kind of format dependent it's this this giant collage 
book of poetry with diagrams and art. I would throw myself into that project, but I'm not even sure how somebody could even publish it. You know, like if, if I don't know if, uh, if you've read any, anything from, you know, the uh, Chad post from, from open letter and Dalkey archive about the problems that he's had editing and, and republishing uh, things like Miss Macintosh, my darling, or Bottom's Dream. Um, uh, these are just even more multiplied because it's 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 there's there's typographical art in it as well. So, um, and it's sort of like dense with like wordplay, um, and uh, it's it's really a Gesamtkunst work. It's, it's this, this entire, uh, huge, uh, book that, 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 uh, um, and yeah, I, I, uh, you, you, you would need a blank check, uh, and for this to just be done to anybody. Uh, but I think it's, 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 uh, uh, you know, the the images that I've seen, you know, it's 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 not it's not just floating around, you know, it's not something that you can buy. But um, yeah, I would love to have, I would love to produce a uh, uh, a a version of that. That, <laughs> that sounds so like, cool. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, we talked a little bit about Hillbish. What else are you working on at the moment? Well, I'm working on, uh, uh, like I said, yeah, the, the Hillbish project, and that'll uh, be coming some, somewhere in the middle term, you know, deal signed, but we need to work on the publication schedule. But uh, closer in, um, I do have a uh, Substack, a newsletter, like everybody, uh, where I publish about at least once a week, um, these sort of my own uh, short prose pieces, uh, a bit in the style of Kleist or or, or Valser or uh, maybe some of Thomas Bernhard's short uh, uh, works, where uh, you know I sort of use you know I'll I'll take an event or you know some sort of mundane aspect of life and and zero in on it. Um, and sort of use that, you know, not, not in an infrequent sense, but occasional writing, like writing on whatever is kind of moving me in the moment, you know, the original, like, sort of version of, a, of, of Phaeton, where you're just sort of, uh, you know, taking the gauge of what's happening right now and, and, and using that to, to riff on, so to speak. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then I'm also uh, uh, helping to edit a two-volume, uh, two collections. Uh, one is a relay translation of some short stories by Yaroslav Hasek um, by this uh, writing uh, writing project called Yaroslav's Pen. Um, and uh, we've been collaborating on putting together a printed version of uh, some of the uh, work that uh, uh, 
has been uh, published online on, on the blog Yaroslav's Pen. Um, and then I'm also working on editing an anthology of uh, translated fiction from the 20th century pulp uh, magazine Weird Tales. Um, uh, people know that uh, magazine primarily as the as the magazine where H.P. Lovecraft um, and Clark Ashton Smith uh, were published, uh, like a landmark horror and science fiction magazine, but they also published quite a lot of uh, work in translation. And in fact, one of the editors was also one of the translators for Weird Tales is also the founder of the uh, journal, the, the translation journal, World Literature Today. So, uh, yeah, so we're, we're, we're preparing, me and uh, another writer, uh, Eric Williams, are, are preparing a volume of, of, of those works as well. Um, let's talk about your gateway books. What were some of the books that opened the doors of literature for you? So, you know, I, uh, for talking about these sort of massive, baggy, polyglot books that uh, really... Uh, you know, our, our works of uh, literary history and philosophy of language, as well as fiction, I have to say, uh, would be Lord of the Rings. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, uh, I still, I still quite like quite a bit of, 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 of genre literature and popular literature. And, uh, you know, kind of my, my, my sweet spot is where a lot of those high concepts meet. And I so just thinking about like, what would a gateway book be, you know, as a kid reading that um, and the fact that there are tables and histories of languages and how it purports to be a translation itself of a historical document with its own textual history and things like that, uh, that, that, that really, uh, more than actually like reading the, the, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, the battle set pieces and, uh, the dramatic stakes of saving middle earth. It's, it's really those, those footnotes and those, the preface matter and the ethnography of, uh, uh ethnographies that he does or, or that Tolkien does I, I think that really kind of primed me for for the kind of literature that I I, I like to read um uh, Kafka um and Borges uh as well for Borges for similar reasons how you know with um like Pierre Menard Arthur the Quixote just reading that as a teenager and, you know, how something can be, you know, very deeply learned, but also funny and unsettling and, um, you know, in terms of being unsettling, you know, Kafka as well, uh, you know, the a country doctor was the first you know, sort of like adult level reading thing that I learned to read in German. And it's something that I read, you know, practically every year, multiple times a year still. Um, you know, the metamorphosis, as much as that opening line has been sort of parodied 
uh, and discussed and analyzed. It, it really is remarkable. And, and uh, just, you can, you can get, you know, having, having that, you know, discussed in literature class and, and how deep that, that, that one sentence goes, you know, and the wordplay, there's triple alliteration in the first clause, you know, like it's, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a remarkable piece of work and, and you, you, you know, it's, it's, it's inexhaustible. It really is. So. Cool. Um, what books are you currently reading or are you looking forward to? I'm finally sitting down and reading through. Uh, this is actually another theme: is that I, I'm, I'm a, a, a bit of a faithless and uh, reader. I, I like to pour things. I'm finally reading through Miss Macintosh, my darling, after having the book and thumbing through it enthusiastically for a couple of years. I'm, I'm getting through the fifteen hundred or so pages of that. Um, there, uh, that's. Uh, I have an older edition, but that's being re-released uh, recently. Uh, going to be re- uh, going to be uh, re-released soon by Dalkey Archive. Very uh, uh, happy about that. Um, I'm reading Anti Oedipus. Um, I'm reading a, 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 uh, by Deleuze and Guattari. Um, kind of had a, a very sorry reading group that where most people fell out and uh i'm months behind in my reading but i'm 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 keeping on i i found that book pretty pretty illuminating um there's a book uh by uh the chinese writer song shui uh that's going to be put out um soon by uh sublunary that uh um i'll be reading through soon and uh, she's one of my favorite living authors. She's a wonderful person. Um, absolutely, uh, if, if you highly recommend her, if you want to you just find something that's just, just unabashedly strange. And uh, if, somebody, if somebody's ever written by their own rules, she, she would be one of those, so. And that's a, that's a novella. Um, about a, a train journey. Uh, I've been told that there are various leopards and other big cats that appear in that one. So look, okay. looking forward to that. <laughs> I think I'll have to put that on my list. That sounds cool. We'll take a quick break here on Beyond the Zero. We're speaking with Matthew Spencer. From the master of horror, Stephen King, the all-new chilling 10-part Netflix series, Shopping List. 15 bucks for fucking lettuce. Watch it now on Netflix, if you dare. We're back on Beyond the Zero. It's time for Matthew's Top 10. cheat sheet here the uh uh malloy by uh samuel beckett that was also a, a formative gateway book for me uh you know hearing about him and his translation uh of of uh you know, writing in english and then into french and how 
I, I'm still not good enough in French to read the original, but uh, you know, ever since I encountered his work as a teenager and hearing that there are two parallel versions and how Beckett, uh, uh, you know, when he translated from the French his his French original into the English, was rather free, you know, and and uh, you know, there's. Uh, it's also a, a very good middle ground between kind of the more very stripped back and enclosed work that you see and uh, you know, kind of his more straight ahead, like comic pieces. You know, I still, I still chuckle to myself about the sucking stones uh, <laughs> passage. Right. Uh, and so, um, yeah, absolutely. You know, some of my favorite lines uh, ever, some of, one of my favorite endings, you know, so, uh, yeah, that, that, that's a definitely in the top 10. I mentioned, uh, Borges, you know, the fictions, um, Pierre Maynard, um, you know, also some of the kind of more poignant last ones like Shakespeare's memory or Rose of Paracelsus, the work that Borges was writing when he was, you know, he had mostly gone back to poetry and was completely blind by then and kind of looking back at his life um, and like living a, even, you know, even though he was a world famous figure at that point, you know, you know, sort of this very old uh, disabled man, you know, who had to have other people read to him, you know, and that's a very, I think that's a very kind of touching image and, and, uh, you know, you never like, I think that kind of quality, that kind of melancholy, sweet melancholy quality kind of creeps back into the writing uh, as well for, for some of those late stories. A book about translation, one of the, one of the books that I've read most recently is uh, 19 Ways of Looking at uh, Wong Wei by the SES translator and scholar Elliot Weinberger. It's a very, very short book, and it's a it's a an analysis it's an analysis of different translations of a single Tang Dynasty uh, poem by by Wang Wei called Deer Park or Deer Fence or Deer Enclosure, and of course the difficulty of translating from a logographic language that's thousands of uh, from a from literature that's thousands of years old at this point uh, from a radically different culture it's, it's all about that um and you know i'm not necessarily I, I appreciate like theoretical works about translation and you know i read the secondary literature but this is kind of at the top in terms of the practical value uh i'm, I'm i don't translate from chinese but uh, it's, you can, you know, an, by analyzing the differences in the English version, you can both get a sense of the complexity of the original, but also sort of spot how, how the weaknesses of, of, of your own practice is also very spicy and sarcastic. And he doesn't pull any punches about, uh, uh, versions of, of of the of the poem that he thinks are inferior as well. The 
another German be uh, old rendering plant by Wolfgang Hilbisch. It's a, uh, a sort of very short novella. Um, I'm actually a bit new to reading Hilbisch as well. Uh, the translation by Isabel Cole Fargo is great. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you were asking me earlier about uh, translators that I admire. She she's definitely among them. The uh, especially this one. It's it's a um, it's an interesting, it kind of inhabits a lot of different spaces that I love. It's on the one hand, it's this sort of, uh, um, you know, monologue, literary monologue, like Bernhard, like Sebald, Krasnokorkai, uh, people like that. And that it's uh, this sort of like dense, uh, uh, you know, prose art piece. Uh, you know, no, no direct dialogue, no, no proper names. And it's, it's really this sort of misanthropic voice in your ear speaking to you. But then there's also elements of Gothic or even cosmic horror. Um, just a little bit about the, you know, book, what happens. It's about this rendering plant in East Germany, ominously named like Germania 2, Ger Ger Germania 2, and, and these this sort of this blighted area um, that's been uh, this area that's been blighted by this by the rendering of animals into their different products for soap or, or what have you and uh, uh, the this the disappearances that happen around that and how how the narrator usually a, you know like like Bernard usually a stand-in for Hilbish himself or a, a fictionalized you know, uh, uh, exaggerated version of himself is uh, just, yeah, it, it, uh, it you know, it, it, it's almost, it, it is almost lo like Lovecraftian or like Poe or, or like, um, uh, you know, Thomas Ligotti in terms of like the, the pessimism and, and talking about inhumanity and how, small and insignificant human life is compared to the universe but you know instead of you know a monster in the uh in the normal sense it's a uh, a factory and then the weight of like history and industrialism and 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 uh, environmental degradation it's a yeah wonder wonderful book uh very very ably translated i i don't think i would be doing Hilbish uh, if it weren't for her efforts, because she's definitely cleared a path, uh, Isabel uh, Cole Fargo. The uh, Energy of Delusion um, by v Victor Shklovsky. Uh, he's, that's, a, that's another top 10. He's known for the theory of prose and developing the Russian formalism, the Russian formalist school of uh, uh, literary criticism, which I like. I, I, I like that approach. I like those early writings, but this is entirely different. It's a, it's analysis, analysis of uh, Tolstoy, the career of Tolstoy and specifically the plots, but like everything in like Shlovsky, Shlovsky, it's a, it's a, uh, it's really just a point for him to kind of ruminate on life and, incorporate elements of like autobiography and and these 
this this book, Energy of Delusion, and then another book called Bowstring, are are really him as an eighty-something-year-old man, you know, a veteran of the of of the Russian Revolution and Stalinism in World War II, looking back at uh, you know the people that he loved and worked with all of his life, and how. Uh, you know, him as a young buck, you know, hotshot literary scholar looking back on him and just saying, I'm, I'm getting kind of misty. I just thinking about it, him saying like, the point was, is that I lived with these people and I loved who I loved. And I, uh, it's just incredibly poignant, you know, him. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just, it's a, both of these books are just so sweet. And uh <laughs> Uh, him just saying, I, 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 you know, it didn't, it didn't matter what points we made when I, when I, when I read these people who I grew up with, you know, very famous uh, poets like Mikovsky and, 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 and they just live again, you know, and that's what matters for, with, with, uh, with uh, literature, really, you know, uh, the complete uh, sort of the, stories uh franz kafka also um you know a gateway book and uh, a top 10 you know mentioned metamorphosis and country doctor and uh not much to say more than that except also the the idea that you know he 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 had such a short career and many of his writings are fragmentary you know and could have been lost to time you know had an immense effect on me and how even in their sort of state of imperfection and how they're sort of like left off in a moment, uh, dashed off for one reason or another and then abandoned and how, you know, in their incompleteness, they, they, they felt like complete and very real in a lot of ways that through conventional literature or literature that I was reading as a kid, that, 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 that really sort of, uh, uh, you know, open, open my mind to what, what literature could do. Uh, 2666 by Roberto Bolaño. That's a, a, often one, uh, I be, uh, being a fan of the podcast. That's, that's when I hear often hear brought up and I, I, I love the minor works by Bolaño, so-called minor works, you know, like short, like novels, like the skating rank or the third Reich or, a lump in novelita, but 2666 is just a, again, it's just expanding uh, the, some poignant about hit how, how it's, it's unfinished as well, but it's a, it's a complete unto itself and it's fragmentary state and uh, how the narrative folds in on itself. And then also I, I don't hear this brought up nearly as much, but like just how, how funny Bologna can be, how strange. And like the, the, like these, every, it seems like everybody has these like little digressive moments and they're, they're usually different. Like I, I like the digression about the, uh, uh, about the, uh, the sad taqueria, the sad taco shop in, uh, in Juarez where they, El Rey del Taco and how, the the sort of Bologna narrator through through Oscar Faith the boxing journalist like encounters this badly painted mural in this sad taco shop as this like 
sort of dark masterpiece, you know, and like, what is the fate of the boy king El Rey del Taco, you know, <laughs> it's just yeah, like things like that. I, I like how how Bolaño's work across across his his entire body of work just accommodates those little strange moments, you know. Would say uh, um, uh, the book of disquiet by uh, Bernardo Suarez, aka Fernando Pessoa. Um, it's another book. Um, you know how uh, you know through through Richard Zenith's translation, especially again the fragmentary nature of that. How it was just in a in a you know, in an envelope, in a, in a trunk. Uh, and, uh, you know, how, uh, you know, there are parts that are mixing, missing texts, you know, it's, it, it is also complete and in its incompleteness and, uh, you know, how the, the holes in there are, 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 you know, very, you know, illustrative of kind of the the absence and like ghostly sort of philosophy and like life of 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 this person, and how oh you know like you know encountering the the concept of the heteronyms how Pessoa develops Suarez and Alberto Cairo and and uh, all of these other stand-ins and how he never almost never wrote for the public. All of this is just was just yeah just in some room somewhere and uh you know how uh it's uh you know kind of a miracle that these things survived again like like uh like Kleist's work which is also um you know very fragmentary very you know only survived in in different versions like like Kafka itself and that 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 sort of attraction to these sort of they're they're infinite in their own way uh, uh, about how they could be arranged in any order um uh like the kind of the work of um an, another top 10 Buchner Georg Buchner uh a uh German uh who uh, died at the age of 23 of illness, typhus, I believe, if I recall correctly, um, and uh, left like just a handful of plays. Uh, and one of them, Wojciech, was uh, uh, about a uh, sort of this common soldier who uh, is 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 beaten about by life and and then ends up. Uh, uh, murdering his lover um that's also was was in a state incomplete state they don't know the order of the action at all um and the fact that so you can build this sort of very tragic very deep philosophically very deep uh, uh buchner is a very very pessimistic person but you know unlike Pessoa or schopenhauer was was a, a member of political left and, 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 and a very compassionate person. Um, but, you know, he was a, a political rattle, radical, uh, was in trouble with the authorities, uh, was very sickly. And the fact that he produced the sliver of work, um, 
Wojciech, this 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 play about revolutionary uh, Paris called uh, Danton's Death, and then this novella called Lens uh, about a um, uh, uh, at the age of 22, 23, like on the run, just uh, like like you know about about to die from from illness. How he could just it's a it's the best argument I've I've had for actual you know genius more more than Goethe, you know more than Shakespeare, um, you know who had you know long careers you know in order to produce like he uh, he had you know mere minutes really you know to to produce but they're 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 everything everything he wrote is 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 amazing it's it's uh, he he's a I don't think he's very well known um, in, in the, he's certainly well known in, in the German speaking world and people might know him from the uh, Werner Herzog, Klaus Kinski movie uh, of Wojciech, um, which is a very good dramatization of, and then, um, you know, a, a living writer, um, I mentioned her before as a uh, San Shui, uh, her collection called vertical motion uh and uh yeah uh you know favorite favorite living author um i don't think she would mind being called an eccentric her 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 it's a suit she writes under a pseudonym it's 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 called dirty snow that's that's what her name literally means in in uh uh mandarin chinese or or, or in chinese characters uh and uh, yeah, she like Cesar Ira, another favorite, another living writer who, who I really love. Uh, she uh, writes without, you know, uh, without revision or at least extensive revision. And, uh, um, you know, and writes kind of humbly and, and, and for her own pleasure. But, uh, you know, these these very strange kind of fabular stories the 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 title story from Vertical Motion are about these like worm intelligent worm creatures who live in this like specific geological stratum and how they communicate through each other through dreams and like how well, there are like speculations on like human life above and uh, you know like yeah you. you uh, uh, she's I, I wouldn't call her a naive writer because she's she's she she reads in various languages and, and, and is a literary scholar as well. But uh, the fact that, you know, I can I can uh, write to her uh, uh, and and ask her like, uh, you know, you know, I'll, I'll ask her, like, what do you mean by uh, not revising? Is there is there is there a particular kind of method you know, do you, do you consider that an integral part of your writing practice? And she says like the, it's kind of too hard. Ask me and ask me another question. And uh, like, what, 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 what type of animal do you like writing about the most? And she'll tell this charming story. She'll write me, email this charming story about how growing up in like rural China, there was like this little kitten that she took care of, you know, uh, and, and like how she can combine, um, yeah, she's she's just a, a very free writer, and and she for me she embodies the kind of like possible space uh, uh, that the people you know you if you allow yourself to uh, 
to, you know, both be serious about writing and to, you know, expose yourself to this entire corpus of these great authors, but also um, write for very unpretentious reasons too, as well. And very, very honest and, and straightforward reasons as well. And I, I really love that about her. I'm definitely going to have to pick up some of her books because I've never heard of her before, but she sounds so good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Vertical Motion, uh, short story collection by Open Letter uh, Frontier. Uh, a uh, that's a that's a novel. So if you're if you're more in the speed for a novel, it's a very kind of like digressive novel about these the groups of different people who are, uh, you know moving to this sort of like boom town in China's West, you know, up in the mountains and the, the various uh, strange things that happen there. Um, uh, that's, that's very good. Uh, Blue light in the sky that was published about, you know, early two thousands by new directions is also a very good collection. So. Excellent. Okay. We should probably wrap it up. Before we do, do you want to tell us where we can get your Substack and where we can read your translations? Yeah, so you can uh, read my translations. You can get uh, uh, Kleist uh, through uh, my publisher, Sublunary Editions, uh, uh, through their website. Uh, they they love fulfilling orders for you. Uh, they can you can also some a writer that we didn't talk about. It's a whole nother subject entirely. I I also have some contributions in an anthology of a writer called Jean-Paul Richter um, and uh, a collection of, uh, of his work called prefaces, which are prefaces to his books uh, uh, is also available through sublunaries uh, sort of like reprint uh, imprint uh, uh, Empyrean editions. And then, yes, uh, I, I have a, a substack called uh, Paradise Almanac. And from there you can have you know, just like, you know, like fictionalized prose poetry, occasional writings, uh, as well as uh, you know, occasional translations by other people or essays of mine about work that I'm working on. I did a, uh, a short essay about some problems in translation through Jean-Paul there, some excerpts from the Kleist book. If, if, if people want to get a taste of that, there are some uh, anecdotes of his that are also available there as well. And uh, that's about the size of it. Cool. Okay. And for people who want to re reach out to you, uh, where can we get in touch with you? I am uh, active, maybe, maybe a little bit too active on Twitter uh, at unpaginated. Um, and uh, yeah, I, uh, under that same username, I also uh, you know, po sometimes post on Instagram um, or uh, on, on, on Reddit occasionally. I'll, I'll, I like to get involved in the uh, weird fiction uh, community over there as well. That's another, you know, besides translated fiction, that's another, that's another uh, uh, big, big love of mine. Uh, so um, yeah, drop me a line. And uh, I'd love to talk shop with anybody who's interested. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me and enjoy the rest of the 4th of July. Yeah. And uh, yeah, all the best down in Australia. 
Thanks once again to Matthew Spencer. Check out the show notes for all the details. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at BeyondZeroPod, and you can email us at BeyondTheZeroPod at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message at our website on Anchor FM. We'll be back with your next episode next week.